Studios here in the Omaha, Nebraska. Radio, it's time for another edition of the Other Kind Radio Talk Radio. The this is episode 56. It's the 7th of July. The other kind of radio, and it's 2019, just in case uh, the other kind of radio, some, radio, some of you tripped and fell into a tear in the space-time the continuum. That's where you've landed. The Other Kind Radio is a weekly podcast where pop culture is the main ingredient of our pop culture pot pie. The other kind. I give that one about a, a strong four. <laughs> but just saying, but just saying, Todd's indicating me maybe a five. But just trying to say pop culture pot pie a couple times takes a little bit of skill. My name's Jeff. I'm one of your hosts. If you're a returning kind listener, welcome back. We have lots to review this week, and thank you for joining us once again. We enjoy and love the fact that you uh, help the show continue on. First-time listeners who have managed to find us among the plethora of podcasts, congratulations and welcome. We always encourage our listeners to like, subscribe, rate our show as it helps feed the algorithm which keeps the podcast universe spinning and our show in its gravitational pull. Uh, speaking of pools, uh, one thing we'll be doing after we get uh, the better half on the show is uh, looking at kind of a top three list, something I want to try and pull into the show here, where we talk about the top three grossing movies, maybe what's big on the billboard, and uh, whatnot. Get you, get you something to walk away from so when you get to work, you can throw out some of that knowledge that we give you here on the show. Um, we're going to have some headlines today. Todd's take on is going to be on uh, Jamestown revival. Uh, I was able to go out and see Spider-Man far from home. So I'm going to talk about that in Jeff's judgment and on center stage, we're going to talk about the show that's uh, making all the headlines right now, which is uh, stranger things season three, the final season. Maybe, maybe not. All right, let's bring on the better half of the show. He is a family generator, movie maker, guitar player, drum major, book author, dive bar boombox member, and all-around renaissance man, live from his studio somewhere near but not located specifically around the town of Dallas. Please welcome Todd. There's going to come a point in time where we actually have to devote a whole entire segment to my introduction because that thing's getting longer and longer and now i'm a family generator well you did generate a family didn't you i did it's kind of gross so <laughs> to all of you out there i'm real sorry that jeff put it that way it's accurate but boy i'm sorry well yeah i guess there's other ways to say it i just i'm i'm just trying to get this this intro thing you know nailed down and 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 tidied up a little bit but uh i and, like it and i want to change it every once in a while so that it at least Get your eye and attention when, when something like that happens. Oh, I see what you're saying. So you're saying you have to do new and interesting things and dangle it in front of me to have me actually engaged. Or the audience, too. Oh, uh, uh, that's right. They're out there. I forgot There's, about the, them. The, I, I didn't forget about you as a whole audience. Right. I forgot that I was doing anything other than just being natural and speaking to my friend Jeff. Exactly. And then, of course, everybody knows that I don't need that from me because inside my head, that is exactly what constantly is always happening. So that bit of insanity keeps me sane 
Welcome to the show. Hey, uh, I just saw you about a week ago. Uh, yes. We met up at uh, at uh, Superstar Steve's house, and uh, Pablo was there, and you were there, and the better halves were there, and uh, it was so nice to see you in person. So so great to uh, have some conversation. Try and have some conversation. It's it, it, folks for for those of you that listen to the show. Um, and obviously have written such kind things about Todd and I being good friends and, and talking about pop culture. Um, w- when Todd and I are alone, um, and well, w- if we're together in person and there are others around, they say we pop into our podcast selves, which is not true. We just like to have discussion, but when you add super Steve in there and Pablo, it creates a vortex, <laughs> a vortex of, Kicking each other in the uh, in the no no place, and then at the same time expressing huge amounts of love for one another, uh, replaced immediately by more kicking uh, in the no no place. So, it's fast. It's very uh, uh, it's it moves quickly, but uh, you walk away from it and you kind of feel like you had a workout. Without question, you know the the no no place is a constant. <laughs> if you think that every film has its beats and everything, trust me, the no no kicking is every about five minutes. Somebody's getting it right in the groin. Yeah, yeah. And then just to ping pong around and talk to Pablo for a little bit, and then to talk to Steve and then to talk to you. It's uh, but that but that time around the table was good, and we did get mission accomplished. We did get Steve laughing so hard that he uh he he uh had a few tears so um but but thanks again to super steve and everybody and and of course you todd for coming out it was great to see everybody and and we had a great time vacation went well and uh glad to be home uh there's no better vacation than the vacation after your vacation Ooh, wow. <laughs> which is uh, which is when you get back to the house and you're not cooking meals and you're not doing all this other stuff and you're just able to kind of just sit back, relax and uh, go like, Whew, I'm so glad I'm I'm not on vacation. You know, I I am leaving for vacation this coming Saturday and the funny thing is I have such trepidation about going because to me it's the coming back where you're mm-hmm. like oh god i just and plus <clears throat> on top of that pardon me <clears throat> on top of that we've decided here at the the hartzell hacienda that this <laughs> this house is almost 20 years old and we are having to do the inevitable thing which is redo the kitchen because suddenly the oven doesn't work all those kind of things so we uh. are going away and when we come back we will be three fourths of the way through a kitchen redo. I am so stressed that I, I vomit a little bit in my mouth every time I think about all of what's about to transpire. Yeah, it's amazing. I I, I saw something this this weekend an article about how long um, things are supposed to last in houses, and it's not as long as you uh, would think they it, 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 as it would be. Um, no, it'll be interesting to get an update from you down the way and see how that stuff's going for you when i end up coming back and you look oh my god todd you look like you aged about 20 years on that vacation you'll know why (laughs) i'll make sure i ask um oh there's the aggressive uh typewriter so let's get into some headlines and then we'll get into the rest of the show two headlines for you this week here you go got the carriage return todd did you have a walkman growing up i 
I did. Uh, you know, I, I just told my daughter about this week when we're preparing for vacation that, you know, and, and, and funny thing also to segue into the main segment, growing up a child of the 80s, just like the kids in Stranger Things. I had that Walkman and I felt so liberated because I was, you know, really taking care of my own music. Yeah. So, yeah, absolutely. I was a kid of that era. For me, it was finding that song or whatever you were listening to and having your headphones on and being able to walk outside and around others and have that music playing. And in a way, seeing your own video, music video come to life. And you're, you know, from what you were looking at, because everything, every, everything you look at when you're listening to music takes on just a little different taste, a little different light. Um, well, this, I had to, I had to read this twice as it, as it struck me as like, what? Um, this is off techcrunch.com. There is now, first of all, I didn't even know the cassette player was still a thing, but yes, there's, there's still a company building Walkmans. Um, and now they've introduced one with Bluetooth 5.0. So all of all of those kind listeners out there that have these huge tape collections still <laughs> can purchase this um, uh, this Walkman made by uh, a company called It's Okay. And now you know it does come with a wired headphone jack, but it, you know for those of us that are just rocking our Bluetooth headphones, you're able to still listen to and get that cassette sound, uh, you know, wirelessly and digitally. Uh, but still a bit of a head scratcher for me. You know, in the pre-pro, you you tossed that out, and I realized that when you said it, I didn't do the usual thing, which we'll usually banter back and forth in sure. the pre-pro of what we thought. I was just so befuddled because you're taking together to a very antiquated approach with a very forward-thinking approach, and I still cannot figure out what factor the Bluetooth plays into it other than <laughs> are they trying to – see, I'm even confusing myself as I try to think it through. Um is it so that you can do blue, the Bluetooth headphones with it? Is that where the Bluetooth element comes yes. in and that's it? That's it. Why? So you, well, you know, uh, because everybody has tons of cassettes laying around, um, but no headphones. Oh, they have a wireless headphones. And I need to correct something. It, it, it's, it's called, the product is called It's Okay, made by NINM Labs. So I apologize for that. a little correction for you, the kind listener. So NINM Labs makes a product called It's Okay. And uh, that is, in fact, the uh, regular cassette player with uh, Bluetooth capability. Do you still have tapes in your... That's exactly what I was thinking. So <laughs> what you're telling me is they made a forward-thinking technology for the people who think backwards. Right. Right. No, I don't have a single cassette. You know what? I actually say that. And sitting on the bookshelf across from me right now is a cassette of a band that I was in in about 1986. Oh. That is the only cassette that I have still. And I keep it for the obvious sentimental reasons. That's me. Right. I don't have any others. And I don't even really care to ever listen to that. Yeah. Why? Um, not sure. My next question for you, though, is how much would you pay for this device that you have no media for or use. Bob, I'd like to make a bit of $1. <laughs> $1. $63 for this. Oh, it's actually not that bad. It's not bad. I, yeah. 
but but it does it does beg to differ. I mean, if you do have a lot of those cassettes, I guess there's something to 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 have and and use. But still, I think uh, most people would just rather go on iTunes or iHeartRadio or any of the other services. You can just get whatever song you want for the fifteen bucks a month. So. Um, but I, it, it caught me as interested. Now I know exactly what to get you for Christmas. So that, so well, it's funny you bring up the Christmas thing because Abby, this past year, Abby being my daughter, for those yeah. of you who don't know, and I have told Abby as a little, little aside, we got to make another, what's the yeah. thesis? We tried the other night, but the, the no, no place kicking <laughs> overtook that. And so we couldn't get it done. Uh, and when you, well, as another aside, when you put alcohol in front of us with yeah. no, no kicking, then it really got out of control. Yeah. Back to my point, <laughs> Abby got a turntable this year for Christmas. And I do believe I talked about it on that on one segment. Yeah. And that is an old technology that you can at least make the argument that it's sonic reproduction is superior to that of digital compression. You cannot yeah. make an argument. I don't think no. that what you're getting on cassette is superior to, other methods yeah so i i don't quite understand it 63 is not bad um outside of the kitsch factor of hey here's a walkman you can listen to tapes stranger things is cool let's do this other than that i don't get it yeah well <clears throat> the cassette player yeah I, I don't even have my buzzer set up today that's probably good um but worth talking about because the walkman was such a i think it's walkman just turned 40 or something like that a yeah i saw that back, too so. All right, next headline comes to us from um, comicbook.com. And uh, a little a little, uh, a little, little sad headline here for those of you who are around Todd and I's age and uh, rather nostalgic, you may want to grab yourself a tissue. As it was announced this week, that Mad Magazine is going to cease publication. Um, first of all, <clears throat> I have to admit, I, was, I haven't read Mad Magazine in... Uh, years and I didn't know it was still available so I'm sad that it's going but I'm part of the reason why because I didn't obviously wasn't subscribing to it but um Mad Magazine wow what a iconic portion of my childhood is as you and I both didn't have computers or Xboxes to play when we were kids and Mad Magazine was the was just a, a great thing to poke through and you had Spy versus Spy and and other segments and of course had the back cover page which would fold and and make something different um were you were you a mad mad were you a fan of alfred e newman you know i never quite got alfred uh when i would pick it up i were being a film fan their their parodies that they would do of films to me were yeah i i growing up there i did loving the films i did but also my dad exposed me to people like mel brooks so mel brooks would ah, yeah. send, famously send up films to me it was like getting a little bitty mel brooks send up of a film um so much so that even when i do minute of the apes the, the podcast i'm on i will think of the iconic mad magazine send up a planet of the apes to me it goes hand in hand with what i think of the film so to me those were hallmarks of my childhood i remember going in the grocery store and running to find the new issue and going back and I never would completely fold the back. I would kind of oh, yeah. lightly bend it because my mother caught me one time actually creasing it. And it was like, Kevin, Todd, Hartzell, you know, don't you bend that somebody else wants it. So I would just, <laughs> oh, look at that, you know. Yeah. So I, I, it breaks my heart a little bit to see these things go. I realize they're probably going to stick around in perpetuity. Um, 
online to some extent. I've and, never and really gone there. They're going to do some some like annual um, type of 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 episode of um, uh, not episode, but a uh, what what are the what's the word for magazines that come out? They're not they're not episode an edition. So they're periodicals. Gonna do periodicals. They're going to do some special edition periodicals that uh, focus on it. But that that was founded. Uh, in 1952 and relaunched in 2018, which I, uh, I didn't know that like in two seven, according to the article here on comicbook.com in 2017, they had a reorganization and it just struggled with the saturation of all of the content that's out there. And again, back when it was something that you could count on, on <clears throat> you know, getting your monthly, uh, your monthly subscription to it and uh, read through it, then I'm sure it was much more now. Obviously, uh, harder to uh, keep people on that that line. Yeah, I was looking through their website, and it, there is a website of MadMagazine.com. It it's a little disappointing that something that is was at one time as forward thinking as Mad Magazine is now as antiquated as they are because it's it's just a series of here are issues, here are books, subscribe. You know, they could and they do if you click through. There are a few cartoons, but there's nothing like what yeah. we got. Yeah as a kid where you could actually go in and see all these things. So it's a little disappointing to see that that's what they've become. Well, mad magazine, thank you for all the memories and, uh, we'll, uh, I'll, we'll keep an eye on the website, see what's going on, but, uh, just thought that was worth it. Uh, mentioning. A fun, interesting note. They're owned by DC comics. Oh, well, come on DC. Let's, uh, let's get the typewriters out. Be aggressive. All right, that's headlines for this week on the other kind of radio. Um, let's do let's do top threes. Uh, so again, this is a new segment, uh, but just to quickly review, maybe the top three movies, top three Billboard songs. I was going to try and find the top three video game sales, but I guess that website uh, doesn't exist. So uh, let's start out with songs. So this is off the Billboard. Uh, charts hot 100 for this week and starting at number three bad guy by billy uh ellish ellish do you know billy ellish uh yes i do and uh that's one of abby's favorite uh she's kind of an angsty teen but she and her brother write all their music together she is the forward part of that duo and and she's she's pretty talented kid. I like her. I would I would have loved to have played a sample of it, but Billboard's website's very very weird. So we'll either find another list to go off of, or I'll try and solve that problem with some production work. In number two spot, Senorita by Sean Mendez and Calamina Cabello. I haven't. I don't know the bad guy, and I don't know Senorita. Have you? Uh, you got I that? I know in? him. Yeah. Um, meh. Meh. Yeah. Well, then you really be excited about the number one song. <laughs> oh, no. We used to call this old guy's top three. Uh, the number one song, according to Billboard, is Old Town Road by, take a deep breath, Little Nas X featuring Billy Ray Cyrus. What? Okay, real quick. That's Billy Eilish. When you said that, I kept, you know, how your brain will, will, like lock up you're like i know something about that's wrong oh. that's billy eilish oh, that's for number how three. you say her name there we go yeah sorry um, billy i now back to the number one so i this this recently came back out there because he was on some i think the bet awards and he and billy rice came out and played 
I, I listened to it then again, and I thought, this is just shtick. However, the guy that I go to South by Southwest uh, to that every year with, and I really respect him and what he knows about music. I actually said it's a great song, so maybe I'm the one oh. that's wrong, but it's such a shticky song that I just, oh, God, I can barely stand that song. No time for shticky. All right, let's let's move on to box office for this week. Top three movies of the box office, and I only heard of one of them. Uh, the okay. first is Yesterday, which pulled in seventeen million dollars. That's a Universal film, and that's that's the new movie by Danny Boyle, where a guy hits his head. He's a musician. He comes back. His friend he gets a new guitar and plays the song Yesterday by the Beatles. They all think, "Oh, what is that song?" And he says, "It's by the Beatles." They don't know who the Beatles is. The Beatles are so he becomes the greatest. Uh, musician of all time apparently saying that he has written the songs of the Beatles catalog it's pulled in um, oh I guess it just released this week because I was going to say the budget was 26 million on it it's pulled in 17 so hopefully that'll do well for it Uh, in the second spot from Warner Brothers Annabelle Comes Home no, that's just another one, and I think that's the Conjuring universe. I, I saw the first one of those. Oh, so it's and like the Harry first Potter. One, but James, I think James Wan directed that. If I'm, I'm not mistaken, I could very well be mistaken. But the first one was pretty good. Uh, since then, you're just cranking out more and more of them, and it is what it is. Right. People want to be scared. Oh, it's oh, it's a scary movie. Uh huh. Oh, well, no wonder I don't. Now, so I got a question for you. I'm looking at this off of BoxOfficeMojo.com, mm-hmm. and on budget, you have some. Some um, release that information. Some of them have that information in there, and some of them don't. Uh, like, um, you know, Aladdin, which was in the fourth spot, $183 million it took to make it. But they don't show the budgets for Annabelle Comes Home or our number one film for the week, Toy Story. Or, and I'm just wondering, do not, do some of the, do some of the film, um, do they just not, report that out i don't know why they don't because that's usually you can usually within a ballpark approximation find what the budget of a film is so i don't know why they're not putting that there okay um let me check one thing real quickly here nope okay so i got that right all right and then i was like i said we're gonna do some video games but there is no existing chart for weekly sales of video games uh, I'll just tell you, I've been uh, season two of Apex came out, and I've been playing that and having a blast. They've really uh, fixed that game. Um, are you playing anything right now, or, or I was just thinking I might need to give Apex another shot. Uh, you know, uh, I recently got talked into going with the Xbox Game Pass oh, thing yeah. because they integrated it with your uh, Gold membership. Mm-hmm. My co-host from Men of the Ape, Sean, uh, really begged and pleaded with me, and I finally said okay. It's allowed me to go back to some of one of my favorite game series that was not a success, and that would be the Halo Wars games. I personally love those because I love blowing crap up, and I love the strategic elements of it. That that's a RTS real time strategy where you kind of have a view uh, from above, and you command your troops and vehicles right. and stuff. I like those too. That those uh, original one was Command and Conquer and stuff like that. Those were great games. Yeah, I, I just I to me. I, I can take my mind away from the world. I just build a base. I go out and blow things up. I have to come back and beat things. So I enjoy that. Sean had me join because he wanted to play. And boy, I'm not going to remember it now, but it's it's a game. It's a pretty simple game where there are four people who are trying to escape a serial killer. And you're within like the confines of this little area. 
and you, you, you constantly have to do little tasks to get away from the serial killer. You know, the, the kind listener may know what I'm talking about. Um, but you know, it's, it's fun. It's a, it's a silly kind of game. And you know, it's you, one time you get to be the serial killer. One time you're the person getting away from it. So you either get to kill people or you get to try to run and do things. Yeah. I think there's one, um, that was based in Jason's, uh, the, the, uh, Halloween, uh, universe where you like have to try and escort. And I've, I've heard good things about that as well. All right. Yeah, I wish I could. I wish I could think of what the name of that is, but I can't think of it. So there's your uh, there's your top threes. Let's uh, go ahead and slide and get that old uh, projector off the shelf. Get it fired up. Todd, what's your take on this week? My take on is a new release by a band that I like called the Jamestown Revival. It's actually just Jamestown Revival. They're a band out of Texas that has kind of a fun relationship with me in that I've tried to see them about 5,000 times at South by Southwest, and I never could get in the shows. If you don't know, when you go to South by Southwest, it's the first come, first serve. If you are not there in time, you're not getting in. As bands gain steam, they can actually charge cover charges. Uh, there was a time when I got there, and they wanted $50 cover charge, and I was like, I'm not paying 50 bucks. Right. But I've loved this band. So they have a new album out called St. Isabel, and they are just a very folky, but they have a pop sensibility about them. There's truth in their harmonies. I, I really like this band, and I think you're playing a, a cut now. Yeah, I'll turn it up now. This is uh, uh, one. It's called Crazy World Judgment Day. One take from a barn. Jamestown revival here on the Other Kind Radio. Man, it's still a crazy world. I guess some things are never gonna change. Yeah, man, what you gonna do? It's harder every day Just trying to make it through It's true Maybe judgment day is overdue So you can hear they're just a It's a very Americana folk duo But they do have some really nice upbeat stuff They have some very nice quiet stuff uh, it's a band I really, really like. I'm excited because I'm finally going to get to see them the middle of August. I have purchased Ooh. tickets and I've told everyone, get out of my way. I'm finally going to see them. This is their, I think, their third studio album. There's a lot of material out there that you can listen to. There's also a live album. I just wanted to toss this out because it's a little bit more of a little known band. The people that kind of get into the music the way I do know of them. If you've not listened, they're well worth a listen. Go grab this off Spotify, wherever you know you might find these type of things. I think everyone would really enjoy it. All right, let's get that projector down. Let's uh, or put it back up or get it down. Whatever, we'll leave it out this week. Maybe somebody will fall over it. Uh, that was Todd's take. Uh, move on to Jeff's judgment. Um, this week, I did have the opportunity to make it out and see the new Spider-Man movie, Far From Home. Um, this film, um, had a little bit of controversy in the sense that, um, it starts out with kind of, um, a spoiler if you hadn't seen Avengers Endgame and there were people that were upset about maybe some of this, you know, um, that it opens with a, you know, so if you don't see the Avengers game that you will go see this and then all of a sudden it's ruined. But I, I kind of call on that because... Obviously, uh, if you haven't seen Avengers, but you want to go see the new Spider-Man, then maybe maybe you should uh, 
catch up on that movie before you coming out. Anyway, um, it is director directed. Um, I'm still learning how to talk by uh, John Watts. Uh, I'm looking at his IMD page. She's also the did uh, Spider-Man Homecoming and done a bunch of uh, stuff for the Onion News Network um, and a few other films. I'm trying to see if there's anything. Do you have any that are right? Um, you know, I'm I'm playing catch up here because I was trying to listen to you speak about it. Right. Um, <laughs> Realizing I had nothing to say. He's done uh, uh, The Invisible Dog, Fat Boy Slim, The Joker, Clown. Uh, well, well, he also did a film called Cop Car with Kevin Bacon, which is a pretty simple film where I believe it's two boys stumble across a cop car and decide to take it. And then the cop chases them. That sounds incredibly simple, but it was a lot of fun. It's a very simple idea. It's almost harkens back to Steven Spielberg's idea of duel where the guy gets chased by a semi, the whole thing. And that's the entirety of the thing, but it's, it's a showcase for his abilities. I went and saw the film last night too. So, Oh yeah, I don't, did I not get to tell you that? No, no, no. That's great. That's fantastic. But you go ahead and I'll I'll jump in at the end of it. Absolutely. Uh, So, you know, again, uh, I do think um, the, the movie market is definitely oversaturated with hero movie, hero uh, films. I think it's, it's becoming just, just too much. Um, However, I thought, you know, I had to make sure I cleared a lot of that out of my head uh, when sitting down to watch this, um, also went to a theater where again, we had the same issues last time where people don't realize that seats are assigned. So of course the movie's firing up, people showing up late and they can't find their seats. So that was a little, little, uh, a little distracting. Uh, but onto the film, um, I thought that it had its moments that it was funny. Uh, I definitely had pl- plenty of action and superhero stuff. Uh, runtime is around two hours, and I thought they definitely could have gotten away with an hour and a half. However, I could understand why everybody was uh, would have been upset if it was if it was shortened down. Um, I nothing else really stands out to me. The storyline is basically uh, uh, Peter Parker has a school trip to Europe and wants to leave his costume at home because he needs a vacation from being a superhero. Uh, and of course, uh, the opposite happens and a character by, uh, played by Jake Gyllenhaal comes in and kind of changes a few things in his plans and his, cl- his classmates plans to, um, be on their vacation. I don't know how much I liked Jake being cast in this movie. I, I almost feel like it was a little forced, um, but, uh, I think in the end he kind of pulls it off. I uh, just could never really look at Jake and, and, and set, except for you know, maybe a serial killer. I just can't. He just doesn't strike me as a comic book guy. But there's no reason why he can't get uh, in there and start um, making some money as well. My shock of the moment was to realize that MJ um, is played by. I want to make sure I say this right. Zendaya, who is the actress who is just killing it on Euphoria, which is on HBO. And it was so hard to watch Euphoria and then see her in this role as this like just young teenage girl, you know, MJ and everything. When the other uh, on the other show, Euphoria, uh, she's got a whole lot more going on as far as character development and acting. Um, 
I don't know if I would give this a full endorsement to go see in the theater. I think uh, people should see it, but uh, it might be a good one to wait to come out on uh, one of your one of your streaming uh, solutions and um, watch it at home and and enjoy it with the uh, with the family without having to have all the other noises and distractions that happen in the theater. So I want to start with one thing I absolutely agree with you on, and that is the over inundation of superhero stories in the movies. Yeah. It has become truly, if you ever follow the nomenclature of, of filmmaking, it, it the tentpole movie, the idea that it is what holds up the rest of the business. It is true. I mean, you're not going to get small films. Let's talk about Jake Gyllenhaal being in a small film, Brokeback Mountain. That's a small film. He's in a small film called Nightcrawler. Those films don't get made without the idea that the business is sustained by these big things. Now, yeah. mm, this is point. what I'll say is I actually think it's probably one of the stronger Marvel films that I've seen in quite a while. Good. I think that they're, the casting of Tom Holland as Peter is a stroke of genius because finally Peter is a teen kid. Now, the kid, the Mr. Holland is in his early 20s. I know this because my teenage daughter fell in love with him, looked up how old he was so that she can fantasize whether they're going to get married someday or not. Um, but he plays 18 beautifully. I mean, the, stu- the stammering idea that e- any moment when he is forced with a decision – there are a thousand thoughts going through his head and he cannot exact one of them. So he stammers around, pulls it off gorgeously. Zendaya does a great job of having a slight bit more confidence, but you can tell there's something broken underneath. I thought that the film's choice to focus on teenage inadequacies almost touches into what I think Stranger Things does so beautifully mm. is allowing the kids to just be kids because that's really what this film is about. This film, the secondary thing is all the superhero stuff because that allows Peter to emerge beyond being a teen. That's what this whole, the whole arc of it is. What can he do to escape being a teen? I thought he was great. I, I have to uh, agree to disagree with you on Jake Gyllenhaal. I thought that he's, I actually think he outside of what I just described may be what holds this film together because of his likability is so essential to what makes the film work and i think what we if have you ever seen nightcrawler jeff oh yeah yeah and i think that dark menace that he has there we know that he can tap into that at any moment at least adds another layer to his performance right i i really really like this film i would say this i agree with you that maybe if you if you err on the side of hey i'm tired of superhero films wait till it comes out at home Right. But if you really like them, go grab your popcorn. Make sure you get your assigned seat. Yeah. <laughs> and enjoy the snot out of this movie because I really, I really liked it. Good. A lot. Good, good, good. And, and yes, I mean, kind listener, please, please, um, you know, uh, remember uh, Todd knows what he's talking about and uh, I don't. Uh, <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. I'm stopping that. That's not what this is about. That was our Siskel and Ebert moment where we yeah. both know what we're talking about. Right. Our opinions right. are valid. Yeah. And I think I think what you bring sometimes that I don't is I am willing to watch everything. You are the to me, you are more like a very educated person that likes movies, that just wants to know what can I see, what can I enjoy. Right. And so I think your your assertion of look, wait till it comes at home, I think it's pretty valid because yeah. I am sick of superhero films and I even was even on the fence, but having just taken my girls last week to see Endgame finally. Yeah. Oh, okay. I saw, yeah, they had not seen it. And so uh, when I saw Tom Holland and I thought, you know what? 
I really like that kid. Yeah. He's really good. He's really charming. Let's go see it. We had a great time. Well, I appreciate you saying that. And and and, and I'm, I do think uh, after hearing what you uh, so well uh, communicated, in comparison to all of the Spider-Man movies, these two with him are are the ones to go see. You, you could even skip the other ones because I, I think you're right. They did a great job um, of casting him. And it, and it does feel like, because Spider-Man was, you know, was a teenager and, and was kind of doing his thing. So, And uh, I think what they've that. done so smartly in this, my wife and I were talking as we walked back to the car last night, they have chosen with these two Spider film, Spider-Man films not to tell you his origin story. It's already been told numerous right. times. We don't need it again. Right. Let's just go tell it. Now we're recasting a young African-American lady as MJ, who you've famously seen as a lily white with red hair. We're also going to man, make Aunt May a beautiful uh, young middle-aged woman instead of an old woman. So there are there are things they're doing differently. Yeah. But the smarter thing is they're just letting the characters exist in that world. And there's a fun cameo at the end that harkens back to the original films that I was like, oh. Great, great. Did you not stay for the post credit scenes? No, we we got out. I, I should have. Maybe I'll look it up online and watch it. I'll tell you when we're done. I don't want to spoil it for anybody. Okay. But hey, stay for your post credit scenes. There's one that plays about two minutes into the credits, and then there's one that plays at the very end. I mean, Netflix does it. They say, stay tuned at the end of the episode. It'll become behind the scene, blah blah blah. They should just yeah. put that at the beginning of the film and just say, hey, hey, if you know, unless you need to pee, go just hang out through the credits, and we got a little something for you. Darn it. I, I, Jeff, I totally agree. I am so beaten down by the post-credit scene. And yeah. also then you're sitting there, you, you see everybody pull their phone out at the yeah. end of the movie. Is there a post-credit scene <laughs> while people are just wincing because they got to pee? I, I am so at least beaten down by that. smart enough to, to pull out their phones and Google that. I didn't even do that. I'm like, let's go. We're leaving. Movie's over. Come on. Um, the, the one thing that did, I did catch too is, you know, he's got that time to kind of create the final solution to take on the bad guy and he runs out of web fluid. That's typical Spider-Man though. I mean, it's okay. also think about how many times, even with Batman, who is my very favorite superhero, something goes wrong with the technology at the very minute he needs. It, so he has to rely on himself. That's Good a point. superhero trope. Good point. Okay. That was Spider-Man Far From Home, Jeff's Judgment On, and uh, even better insight from Mr. Todd there as well. But uh, either way, definitely uh, worth seeing. We're going to move on to center stage right now where probably the biggest thing to drop. Oh, and I didn't say this to the kind listener at the beginning of the show. Happy belated 4th of July. I hope everybody had a safe 4th of July. And, uh, of course, what dropped that day, which was like a showstopper in this household, was season three of the Netflix Stranger Things series. And yes, folks, I uh, just for the kind listener, I pretty much watched, binge-watched the entire season from beginning to end, just so we could talk about it today. So, Todd, do you want to do a little tale of the tape, um, if you have it up on, on IMDb, as far as uh, and anything behind the scenes, or like I said, tale of the tape-wise, that you feel is important to, to add right now? So this is season three of Stranger Things, which probably and arguably has been, if not the biggest, one of the biggest hits of original content that Netflix has ever created. This is the story that began with a young boy disappearing into a foreign dimension, his friends having to chase after him, and when they meet a young girl with superpowers, it just completely comes together. So if you didn't already know that premise, it's there. 
season two famously according to many fans and critics failed to live up to that because in my opinion and i agree with it there were moments that were very good but what it felt the need to do and this is sequelitis you know that filmmakers will fall into is it felt that it needs needed to recreate the exact beats that the first season had had it became yeah. a reiteration of it the same kid got in trouble the same things happened nothing you can have the same kid get in trouble but you need to evolve that story they did not evolve it the children did not evolve at all which leads us to season three season three now has i think it took two and a half years for them to produce it yeah. which there it seems to be pretty obvious why they did because they wanted the kids to get a little bit older so that they could advance the story season three comes out we're in the same universe it's the same stuff going on but now they have a bit of a chip on their shoulder of something to prove. Can they again tap the magic of Stranger Things? Which the last thing I'll say about Stranger Things, it harkens to the characters, the beats, the tropes, all of it. Words I've I just realized I've used tropes in this podcast twice. Um, of the 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 entertainment of the eighties, the things that Jeff and I grew up with, yeah. the gremlins, the poltergeist, that type of thing, the Joe Dantes, the Steven Spielbergs, the Robert Zemeckis films of that era are all either referenced directly or inadvertently put in there. So it it taps into what we as adults of this age would would remember and what our kids probably want to re, to relive because they know that their parents went through that era. So that's what Stranger Things is. One thing that, that caught my attention right off the bat, uh, the, the co-creators, Matt Duffer and Ross Duffer, I think this is a very, very good example of, of, of producers and directors and writers taking um, notes and feedback from their audience and then working within that um, arena, if you will, that they created and they fixed a lot of things. And I'm right there with you. I, I I was hesitant because I thought season two. I thought season two was kind of like a microwave dinner where you 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 know you know it's not real it's, it's not real Salisbury steak, but you got a hankering for it and it tastes good. So you just follow the instructions. You know you're going to put it in the microwave, and you know you're going to take it out, and you know you're going to burn your fingers, and then you're going to know you're going to run cold water in your burnt fingers, and then you're not going to wait long enough, and you're going to put the hot stuff in your mouth, and you're going to burn your mouth. All to somehow still get a, a a a few drops of enjoyment out of watching it. So I felt season two was just very you know could be in some ways uh, a, a an example of of just a very simple storytelling. I, which I felt think you really, yeah. Go ahead. I think you really touched on that perfectly. That. The problem with season two was that it is exactly that. That that may be the most beautiful analogy ever used. It is what what are frozen dinners, but they're gut fillers. Yeah, there you it, go. It gets you from the moment to the moment. You're like, oh, I've been satiated right now. But when you then think about it, you're like, what I really wanted was like a big juicy steak. Right. that's fresh and you know just yeah. You, you didn't get that. The first season, you know, was such a shockingly good yeah. story that it was executed beautifully. There was terror. There was camaraderie. The sweetness of the children's interaction as they were playing Dungeons and Dragons and are then forced to actually go battle a dragon of swords. That was beautifully executed. When we get to the second season, we started, and, and you should do this. You should introduce new characters. Your story should evolve. But we introduced the new characters of uh, Billy and his uh, little sister, and I'm going to get yelled at by my child because it's her favorite 
Um, <laughs> what's the little, uh, Max, the yes, little red Max, girl. Max, yeah. Max was at least well drawn enough that, you know, you got there was an angry kid that there's something wrong. And we begin to find out what her problem is. Billy was angry and we don't find out until the very end of the second season what's wrong with him. And it becomes like a, well, where did that come from moment instead of, hey, it evolved. And that makes sense. Yeah. I throw that out because I I, I want to step back into when we get to Billy in season three. I want to touch on that thing. But season two just didn't take the opportunity to evolve the children and what they were going to experience. And again, just like Spider-Man, this show is not just about, and in many ways it's not about the demons. It's about them and what they're going through. Right. And I think setting that up now we have season three, which jumps ahead quite a few years. They've had the issues, but the thing is now they're becoming teens. I'm not sure why the doorbell rang. Was that that I got that right? Or you're supposed to ask who is it? Oh, who's there? Hi, it's Dr. Spoiler. We're about to talk about season three (laughs) Stranger (laughs) Things. And we may mention, not on purpose, we may mention some spoilers. Man, in my mind, I was on stage getting my Oscar for production. Um, and then it didn't turn out that way. Plus, the doorbell was way too damn loud. Anyway. Uh, well, in the future, can we also get the Nest doorbell thing? Because I admit to, and you're going to play the Hoity Tony music. I'm so used to now when my doorbell rings, it's like someone's at the front door. <laughs> um, all kidding aside, folks, we are going to talk about season three of Stranger Things. So if you have not seen it and or are afraid of learning some things that are going to happen in season three, Go ahead, pause the podcast, watch, uh, binge watch the show, and then come on back. But we don't want anybody to get uh, upset because we are going to talk about some things happening in Stranger Things. This includes Doctor Spoiler. He's leaving now. Bye bye. Let's see if we can Goodbye. get yeah, if we can get the uh, kid in. There we go. Okay. Can we have a door closing since the doorbell rang? Yeah. Here we'll play this. It's, oh wait! No, like, no, you don't have to ring the doorbell to leave, sir. You, that's only to come in. It's like aloha. It's it's both hello and goodbye. <laughs> we should start doing that. When you leave somebody's house, you should start ringing the doorbell on your way out. Just, the next time I come see you and Catherine, you better watch out. I'm going to ring that doorbell every time I come and go. All right, so let's get into Stranger Things. Um, the third season for me again started in a, in a great place. You, you you immediately get back into um being caught up on um what the characters are doing it's summertime and you know everybody's kind of got their like you said they're a little older they're into their own things and i really like the way they got the band i'm doing using air quotes got the band back together um it was nice to see everybody's face it was nice to see and i think you like you said whether it was uh, for the production writing or planned. It was nice to see these face mature a little bit. So you really are immediately pulled in. This is a group of, of pretty tight friends uh, that are going through adolescence together. Um, you've got uh, L and is it Mike that yeah. are, are are in the kissy kissy phase of a relationship. Uh, that's all they want to do is hang out and uh, make out. Um, then you've got the Dungeons and Dragons fan boy. He's kind of he's kind of doing his thing. And then um, 
I can't remember if there was something specific that, and I need to, I need to look at the characters here because uh, this is going to get, this is going to get confusing. So, uh, ba, 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 ba. Lucas, um, yes. he, what did they have him doing anything? Was he? That, you know, the funny thing is I just said to, to my daughter who I, I'm going to say this now, my daughter is a massive fan of stranger things. Um, she seriously, when that episode dropped at, 12 p.m. Pacific time. <laughs> she stayed up to watch it at two central time and came to me alone and not her mother and said, can I stay up and watch too? Yeah, there you go. Knowing that we had to get up the next day and go see family for 4th of July. So she she watched two episodes. The next day she came home and binged the entire thing. She loves it so much. She's been to the stranger cons and has oh. met a number of the kids oh, and yeah, has yeah, pictures yeah. with I may have to like post a picture out of Abby with the kids sometime. Yeah. But I said to her, I seen she she was telling me how nice uh, Caleb um, McLaughlin, who plays Lucas, he, how how nice he is in you know in person. Mm-hmm. And I said, "Here's what I feel bad about with him. He's almost like a forgotten character this season. He's there. Yeah. He gets his screen time, but he gets no evolution as a character. He is there as a foible to the other people. He's in a relationship with Max, which I'm going to take exception to right now because oh, that's right. While I have no issue with just like in Spider-Man, a, an African-American young lady, a Caucasian young man being together, couldn't care less. If they find love and they're happy, go for it. In 1985, at least in my small town, that would have been so beyond taboo that I sat there and kept thinking, man, I, I kind of have no problem with them being together, but why aren't they playing up the moments of people looking at them and looking down? You can make a social statement about it, but be realistic. So, He's not given any of that. Yeah. He's just the guy in the background that's always kind of giving the dissenting opinion so that there's tension in the scene. That That is probably one of my true criticisms of this season is, yeah. is what they gave him. That, that's a great observation. I also think they were making a lot of room for his younger sister, Erica yes. Sinclair, um, played by, uh, I think it's Priya Ferguson, who in a lot of ways was the newer version of um oh gosh i need uh of dustin she was kind of the new dustin like when dustin in season one he was just too damn cute and just was kind of stole the scenes and i think she did uh, a great job and played her character so well uh with the sassiness and getting involved in this you know and and they have this uh, at one point uh, in the in the uh, this season, they need her to go into an air vent and and look around and help them kind of break out of this place, and she like you know brokers a deal where um, uh, two of the characters that are trying to talk to talk her into doing it uh, work at a uh, ice cream parlor, so she she's able to broker a deal where she gets free ice cream and she goes climbs in in this air vent. And they're kind of doing the the typical thing where they're trying to like, you know, just, just climb up there and then, you know, come down, just tell us what you see, you know. And um, she quickly points out, uh, this sounds like child endangerment. And, you know, of course, the characters are trying to get her to use some different language. Um, but I thought she did a really good job. So very good um, observation about Lucas. But I think maybe that's because they were trying to make some room for Erica. But I would say Lucas and Dustin, in in many ways, uh, even though they have kind of their own separate adventure, um, are definitely pulled back a little bit in this in this season. 
Well, I, and I, not to differ too much with that, because you bring up a really good point that I think w- brought to mind why I think the season works infinitely better. I'll just toss it out right now. This is a this is on level with season one to yeah. me. It's it's that true. They've got it right. The beats are there. Sure, you're going to have fatigue after you've watched a show three seasons in a row. You begin to understand it. But what you need to do with a character, and I actually I actually take exception with what you said about Dustin because I actually think Dustin. Mm. has an evolution that i'm like wow that's so smart because yeah. he has his bromance with steve oh that's right yeah. the guy uh, joe Curie curie that plays steve man mwah, great performance yeah. he's just that kid deserves to be a superstar the camera loves him when he's on you can hardly look away from him but he has the the, the chops to play everything Here's what I think is pretty smart about your observation i never thought about erica as replacing lucas but when I when I look at Dustin and Steve, I think their roles from the previous season are almost reversed. Steve now feels he's the insecure oh. one. He can't get to college. He can't get these things. And Dustin's the one that's building him up. Think about last season. Yeah, they did that. So when you start flipping roles, and that's actually pretty smart because you think about this. Let's go back to Will. The character of Will still wants yes. to play Dungeons and Dragons. I'm I'm a 52 year old man that you know yeah. Jeff's looking behind me and I've got toys all over the shelves behind me. I I'm still a kid at heart. Yeah. But there came a point in my life where I kind of went, okay, well the, the now the toys just stay on the shelf and I've got to do adult things. Yeah. Will is still that adolescent who don't want to let go. He wants that part of his life. While all the other kids are moving on, I actually saw this analogy in a variety um, review of it that the brilliance of this is that. They before they wanted to play Dungeons and Dragons, and now they literally want to play Spin the Bottle. Yes, that is the evolution of the story. So characters swap roles. It's still the same thing, but somebody's growing. So Erica does take on the role of what Lucas was before, and now Lucas is focused on Max. I wish he'd had a little bit more of his own story to do on his own, or had a few more moments right. like that. Um, outside of that, he finds the fireworks that become a fun device at the end of it. He doesn't have a huge arc, but I think that's what this story does smartly. Right. Yeah. You're going to have Nancy and uh, Jonathan, the, the older kids are not going to change as much because they're older kids they are beginning right. to settle into getting jobs and those kind of things. Hopper and Joyce pretty much stay the same because they're adults, but kids mature and change. Mike wants to play kissy kissy with Elle. Elle's not so worried about, you know, Papa anymore and trying to find out the mysteries of why she was there. That's what this season does is it, whereas last time they were stuck in the roles that they were before, this time they're allowed to evolve. And I think, again, that's where letting the kids mature and become teens, that was a stroke of genius by by the Duffer brothers. The other thing I liked that they did in this season uh, as well was um, they separated everybody. So rather than it being like the first film, which would be first film, but the first season, which would have been really easy to do, which would be to just have everybody like the Goonies clumped together and running around. Each group had its own element of challenges and everything in, in trying to figure out what's going on in the, in the town this time and who the bad guy is and why weird things are happening. Um, which I think again, does a couple, couple things. One, it gets them away from that just the the banter that we got used to in season one, season two. Two, it allows for some screen time where we actually get to see their character arc and their character development right in front of us. And you've made some excellent points, especially uh, about the cat that plays. Who's the guys that, w- that worked at the um, ice cream store? 
uh, Steve and uh, Steve Harrington. Is, yeah, played yeah, by and then and, and then Uma Thurman's daughter is the girl that is in the place with K- him. And Karen I Wheeler? she was fantastic. Karen, I'm sorry, Karen Wheeler. No, Karen Wheeler. Max May. No, that was. Oh, I'm going. I'm going on the wrong uh, side there. What was her name? I, I'm trying Nancy. to think of it too. It's uh, yeah, uh, uh, Nancy Wheeler. No, that's the no. one that plays the. <laughs> good lord. And the rest of the the rest of the podcast is going to be spent on no, not that person. Maya Hawk there plays Robin. She is the daughter of Uma Thurman and Ethan Hawk. She is amazing. And one thing I want to say real quick about the guy who's uh, one thing I want to say about Steve is yes, he's a very very handsome guy. He does this entire seasons wearing the most god awful sailor outfit that his unit that is his uniform. Um, for the ice cream place. And I thought that took a lot just to get past that. Cause in the, in the beginning when he's introduced and he's wearing that thing, I, you know, that's, that's the thing I got my eyes stuck on is like, I would never but I wear th- that. I think that's a stroke of genius yes. to put here. He was at the, you think about his evolution as a character. He starts off as the, the early antagonist of season one who mm-hmm. wants Nancy and wants to beat up Jonathan. We get exposed to that. He's a rich kid that, you know, his dad's a hard ass on him. And and we, we can all understand that we may not all be rich kids, but we've had people be hard asses. We, right. we sympathize. If you have empathy, you see that. And as he falls and gets all these things, what a great way to completely yeah. take him back down and wear that humiliating outfit. And what a, a brilliant choice by the Duffer brothers. What a courageous thing by that actor to know I'm going to be walking around in this yeah. and to freaking own it and own it. Yes. Like he did. And, and, and like I said, so it, it, what was once from my eyes, the only thing I could see through his acting and the writing and directing became part of the character. But like you said, um, really added more than, than, than distracted. Um, there, there are a couple things that uh, going through that did catch my eye kind of in the, in, in the bad way, uh, and we'll get into those a little bit later. But um, I, think, I think overall, uh, throughout the, the whole episode, uh, series in, uh, of season three, uh, again, I, I think it's, uh, it, it, it felt better paced. It felt not as rushed. There were some characters that uh, were pulled back in, like the, uh, the crazy guy that um is your typical uh the government's listening big brother's listening um and i'll get his name here in a minute as we uh as everybody knows we're so well prepared here uh but he's the guy the bald-headed guy that kind of lives in a bunker that they have to go get uh help from by the way imdb i would really like for you to change your presentation because <laughs> when you this is what the frustrating thing is and i'm not making excuses for us we we should have probably gone through and so we want to talk about this you could update your page so that yes matthew modine was in 12 episodes but that was three years ago you should you know just like google would do with their algorithm the most current comes to the top fix that please um good point because yeah, I can't, I can't find this guy. But anyway, there's some some new characters that are brought in. There's some old characters. I kind of want to talk a little bit about the the masterfully way that they incorporated a lot of pop culture from the '80s into the film with which, but I and without the audience, me 
feeling like I was being beaten over the head with it, which I think is a very hard thing to do. But like, you know, uh, when we first get to see, I'm gonna, I got to get off this page because I can't read it. But um, when we first see Dustin coming back from summer camp, I didn't know this, but the scene where his toys come alive and start going and marching, that's a hail to uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Yep. Oh, uh, yeah, was it? Okay. I thought it was either that or Poltergeist. Um, so a lot of references were made there, but I thought they were done in a really clever way. New Coke. Um, and then, of course, having a lot of the scenes set in a mall, which was where everything happened in the 80s. I mean, you'd go to the mall to go to the mall. Uh, it was a place to be seen. It was a place to buy. And, and you know, it was it's the first time it was kind of its own self-sustained environment because you could go to the movies. You could come out and get lunch. You could go shopping. And, and in some ways, um, some of uh, Todd and I's uh, similarly aged people out there, kind listeners, were raised in or spent a lot of time in malls doing exactly that. So I, I like the throwback to some of the um, Orange Julius and some of those areas that 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 people obviously see. But they, it wasn't like they said, okay, we're going to set the scene in front of the Orange Julius and make that more of the point of the scene rather than what was going on with the character. So I thought it was done tastefully and easy to digest. What they do very well in that regard is to understand. It's much like uh, watching The Simpsons, the classic eras of The Simpsons, where you, your comedy plays on this level that is the here's the the moment that's funny but if you're a pop culture fanatic you see the layers beneath it that you're like oh my god look at that because i'm you know my daughter eventually came in and watched some of these episodes with me when i binged over two days after jeff asked me to get this done quickly <laughs> abby dropped down and watched some of these with me and i'm laughing at new coke and she's like why is that funny yeah so it plays on two levels. It's yeah. authenticity for her because, oh, there was new Coke. Okay, well, that makes this this era unique to what I understand. But for me, who, someone who grew up in it, I'm like, okay, that was a famous debacle by the Coke the Corporation. That's why it now still, still says classic Coca-Cola on it. Mm -hmm. You know, and I explain those things and I see the Orange Julius too, which I'm telling you, I may have goofed louder at Orange Julius than I did anything else in the film because yeah. I so distinctly remember our Orange Julius at the corner of our mall by Montgomery Ward. And, you know, I never went there. I was always like, orange juice, why are you on yeah. that? But, you know, I, I think they do that beautifully. I think so many of the beats are so smart with what we see and how it's presented to us in that era. It it, it really shows that, that they took their time and really looked at, at how to introduce and have those elements of the 80s in the season. But again, uh, very minor character when it came down to the actual storytelling. Um, yeah. what, I think another area that they did really good this season is on the baddies, the the monsters, the the things that go bump in the night. I thought that that, that in itself, uh, season one, of course, was brand new and we didn't know anything about it. So you kind of you had to figure it out. Part of the fun of going along with these characters on their journey was learning about what this was. Season two was a little of the same. Season three, they really they took kind of the same origin, but they really rewrote who the bad guy was and what he could do and how you know he was going to execute he or she or it was going to execute its plan of evil. Um, and and a hats off to him because they could have you know easily slid back into some comfortable areas with it. Um, but I thought with with the beginning and the and the rats exploding and and kind of the way it was affecting people and what it was doing. Uh, was not only a, a little creepy, and you know me, I'm a, I'm 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 a wimp when it comes to scary movies, 
but was done in a way that still kept it fresh and 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 kept the mystery alive as far as what was going on. What what is this? What's causing this? So I think that you you made me think of another thought here when we talk about the things that they reference because if I'm looking back at the the first season, I might go for that the horror elements are are very reminiscent of things like the Goonies. I'm not sorry, not the Goonies of uh, Gremlins, yep, of Poltergeist, those type of things. I think this one evolves its horror and it becomes referential to the 1978 film version of Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yes, because people's bodies are controlled as well as the Kurt Russell version of the Thing. Yes, where we almost don't know who to trust, what to do, and the Thing just keeps amalgaming into other things. I think that if they can take that idea where they're going to be referential to different horror things, they're going to saturate, you know, what's the, the environment that the kids are in. They're going to let the kids grow as adults. I, I'm going to jump forward and say, I'm actually hoping that they take another three years before they two to three years before they do this so that we can then see the kids struggle maybe as they get ready to go to college, something like that, you know, and they've also been very, very referential to Stephen King in many ways. Mm -hmm. And the, the novel of it, which became a hit and uh, Finn Wolfhard is in that as well. That starts with the kids then having to come back as adults. That would be really interesting if they could somehow wait a few years and let them come back as adults to finally beat it. So I find those things really really cool i want to jump forward to something about the baddies that i think was beautifully done this year and that is the handling of the character of billy yes i thought billy was a huge problem last season i think the kid that plays him dacred montgomery is a good actor i mean Mm -hmm. nothing about him was wrong um there's nothing wrong with having a one note character to an extent Mm -hmm. to give that character moments where we may not understand his vulnerability that's being shown to us, but it's there. Right. To me, they didn't even do that. And at the end of season two, you know, here's the, the spoiler ding-dong again. But if you've not season, seen season two, much like what Joe said earlier, don't go into Spider-Man and tell me that you're upset if you're going to skip in-game. So don't tell me you're upset <laughs> for at this right, point. You right. turn it off right now. But Billy, we find out that his father beats him. And while that is horrific and that should play for that character very well as giving us sympathy as why this mean character is the way it is, because it makes sense. They don't give us enough to make it when that comes that it's at least more of an emotional payoff. It's simply it's simply informational. It's not emotional. Right. This season in what I think may be the biggest masterstroke of 11's powers 11 has the ability not only to manipulate things with her mind but she can often go see things and she has a moment where she actually sees the complete almost time arc of of what happens to billy and how he ends up with that man beating him that completely opened a door for billy to where then as his story evolves, we have the information as an audience. They have completely trusted us to say, here he is. It does not, it doesn't, you know, make him into a lovable character, but no. he's an understandable character. He's a relate, I, relatable character in the sense that because you learn that about him, you you have some empathy and, and therefore don't agree with what he's doing, but you have that, that, 
je ne sais quoi of needing to know why he is that way and how is he playing and how do I feel about that? You know, that's something we talk about a lot on this podcast is it's not just telling a story, but also the same way that it affects you as you're watching and, and, and how you get pulled into it. Cause if it's something that doesn't have a backstory or important things like that aren't told, then you have difficulty understanding where that person's coming for from and then allowing yourself to get pulled in by the actual story itself. I think that exactly. And I think that when we're, we all look at a character like Billy in season two and we have a Billy in our life. Somebody that, that all we know because he was in our teenage years yes. was awful to us. Yep. All we know is he was an ass and that's all our memory still says. Well, you know, but I remember Billy. Well, the truth is you don't know anything about that Billy in your life. Right. When you're telling a story, you have to give the information, you know, even Hannibal Lecter, who is a despicable, terrifying character, you may not get the complete revelations, but you get that it's for some reason to him, this mind game of controlling people is what it is. And and it it opens enough for us where we understand something happened to him. I don't know what it is, but I see what he got out of it. With Billy, all it is is anger. But this season, they give him so much more to do that at least as his story progresses toward the end, there's an arc to it. We, We at least understand how and what and i'm gonna throw it out feel a little bit of sympathy towards it absolutely absolutely want to remind everybody you're listening to the other kind radio i'm todd he's jeff we're talking about wait hang on strike that reverse it he's jeff and i'm todd he's jeff i'm todd that was a test you passed um (laughs) we're talking about season three i can't even do a reset correctly that's all right uh we're doing a season three stranger things uh including spoilers review Uh, i do want to make note real quick before i forget Masterstroke is available, uh, masterstroke.com for bands. I think Masterstroke would be a good good name for a band. And I thought that was funny. You said this is part of their Masterstroke. So I thought without I mean, getting too blue, I thought that was that was really good. Well, I'm also going to say don't just blindly go to something <laughs> called masterstroke.com without finding out. Google it first because I don't know what that might be. Good point. Let's all practice safe surfing out there on the web. All right, so we've talked a little bit about the characters. We talked about how we feel about the storytelling, the directing. We'll go ahead and start to kind of kind of tighten things up and, and come to an end here. Um, and maybe we can discuss a couple of things that, that, that maybe didn't go the right way. You know, uh, again, tip of the cap to everybody out there, um, the production crew, the directors, everybody that works so hard. But, you know, uh, this is this is our, our opportunity to kind of look a little harder at those areas that um, – may may have uh may have pulled us out a little bit and i'll go first and i think you've already said you disagree with this but it still hits me and i don't know why but i still cringe when i see winona Ryder in that cast in that role uh i I, at least this season she was a little less whaley which i think was a good thing to do because in the previous two episodes it was just a lot of scenes of her screaming where's my son and i need help I felt like she was a stronger character uh, this time around, but again, I I I still don't see Joyce uh, Byers. I see I see oh, there's uh, Winona Ryder. So you know, actually, I don't know if I've ever misrepresented this to you, but season one, probably my main point of contention with it was Winona's performance. I thought number a number of times she was too shrill. Yeah, um, so much so that I found myself even till recently going 
man, I really liked her in that era. I thought she's a pretty good actress. She famously was cast in Godfather Part 3, had to pull out because of stress. Then that brought in Sofia Coppola, who sucked. Oops. oops. <laughs> and I, you know, even when my, I let Abby watch all three of those films, we got to it. And I said, look, Sofia Coppola is a fantastic director. We'll get into her stuff later on. She sucks as an actress. And, you know, to this day, when we're having a what moment, she'll go... Abby will look at me and go, dad, which is famously how <laughs> Sophia acts. And I would always tell Abby, yeah, but there's this actress, one owner writer who was originally supposed to do it. And if she'd been, been great. I now I'm not so convinced because instead right. of it being dad, it would be like, dad, <laughs> all her performance was in season one was, was this over the top histrionic. And I understand her child was missing, but you can play that yeah. multiple ways. It would be like, it's the reason I don't really care for Van Halen a lot because I find that David Van Halen, most of his stuff is, yep, and yep. it never stops. That just doesn't speak to me. I thought finally in this season, finally there, I was like, oh, there's the one owner. I remember she does have more than one note of a performance, and right. I think it may be part of that has to be on her. Part of that has to be on the Duffer Brothers and uh, Sean Levy, who is one of the other regular directors and contributors to this. They made they they gave her the direction to stay at that level, right? And I think at least in this one, we begin to see when, the moments when she thinks back on Sean Astin's character from season two. You actually see her ability to play hurt, right, and longing. And I thought, oh, thank God. So I mean, I I don't I really can't fault any performance in any of the seasons, okay. except for hers. But right. I, I I did that first season. Trust me, I. Abby will come and say, let's watch season one again. I'm like, no, right. I, I don't think I can no. take Winona again. No. can't do it. So before I get into my next one, did you have anything that was glaring to you um, about season three of Stranger Things that uh, you, you had an issue with technically acting, directing? You know, if anything, I, the, the funny thing is, Jeff, I didn't have any issues, performance, pace, any of it. If anything, I want to draw, I want to, throw out one thing that just floored me and it yeah. actually does make me want to go back and watch the other seasons and that's the transitions between scenes mm. they are so smart if you watch this and what I, if you aren't familiar what i mean about transition between scenes so let's say that right now you're watching a movie of me and jeff talk about stranger things but there are other characters who are talking about something else and it's going to go to another part of the story well, what you might see is me lift my coffee cup and the coffee cup take the frame. And when it cuts to the other person, they have a plate and it takes it down. So it's the same color porcelain. It's just, it's seamless. That way they go and they transition across. There are so many times in this, uh, famously, the, for me, there's a scene at the end um, where somebody's vomiting in a toilet. I've just put it that yep, way. Yep, yep. That we get a bleh, but at the same time, then it cuts to the blit of the the monster being all gelatin and whatnot they're just that while that's oh, not yeah. seamless you it, it's just smart we got vomit we got that those things linked together and it is time and time and time and time again that their transitional choices are brilliant so much so that I'm, i i actually may have now found my reason to go back and watch the entirety of this series again just to see if that's true throughout or if it was really something they focused on in season three that's a that's an excellent observation, and and what we're going to talk about on our next episode, which is the uh, Netflix uh, talk about the Central Park Five called "When They See Us." 
I did. I didn't see it so much in or recognize it in Stranger Things 3, but there are some beautiful transitions, and I don't want to get into that whole thing, but I know what you're talking about. But there's some beautiful uh, scene changes in um, when they see us. Um, so let's talk about the ending a little bit. I thought, for whatever reason, it was in my head that this was it. They were doing season three, and it's done, and bye bye and thank you all for, for going that they were going to cut the cord on it. But now I'm reading that maybe not so much, and the ending lends to it a little bit. Um, we have the main characters all leaving the town or separating. So the, so the band's breaking up, starts with the band getting back together, ends with the band breaking up. And then we have some questions about what happened to one of the characters, uh, whatever, what happened to Hoppe. Um, you know, did, you know, where is he? Did he get transported? Cause right. They, they kept reading on Twitter. When you, if you don't see a body, that means anything's possible. It does mean anything's possible. And I'm going to ask it, Jeff, there's a post-credit scene for this season. Did you watch it? No. Uh, oh, uh, where the, uh, yes. Ah, I was smart enough. Cause I could fast forward through the credits. Um, yeah, where the yeah, where you're back in the Russian, and then there's like a, a hint of a, a possible other creature, right? But that's just one. Well, di- okay, so they take in this post credit scene without giving away too much. They take one prisoner out, and they say, "What about that cage?" And they say, "No, that's the you know what you know what I'm oh, referring to." Oh, yes, and not the American. Yeah, they 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 call it the American, ah. which you immediately go. American. Okay. So Abby and I watched that last night because I actually skipped that. I wasn't expecting oh. a post credit. And she said, we're, we're out yesterday doing stuff. Well, you know, this and this, and I'm like, what are you talking about? And she went to the post credit scene, dad. And I was like, what post credit scene? Like, oh my watch. God. Do you not know that post credit scenes exist? And I'm like, you're such a teenager and I want to kill you. But I'm like, no, Ab, I didn't really know that. And I'll watch it tonight. So we watched it last night. And I, when it was over, I said to her, and I do this all the time so that my kid at least can have discussions about it. I said, what were the two bits of information that were important in that scene? Yeah. And I said that, that the Russians are still involved and, and that they have something from the, the upside down. And there's an American. Mm. Those are the two bits of information. They, they said that scene, that's what it tells us, and that's what it wants to take away. So I, I have a feeling it's Hopper. I, right. I really do. And that would be a good setup for them to age and get older and then find out that yes. he may be there and then go back. Okay. All right. I, so I really, I had already heard that season, when season three was a go, that season four was an extremely likely ah. possibility. Okay. So I my guess is this. I think... With the end of this, I think that they've rounded out some characters. I think that they've also done something to put them in different places for a future set of storytelling. Um, I don't want to say what that is. Sure. Uh, I'll let the, the, the kind listener go watch it for themselves. But I, again, I think it would be really smart to wait another two or three years. Mm-hmm. Let the kids grow up some more getting ready break. for college, getting ready to be adults. What happens once again, changing that's, that's the conversation. That's the, the gist of what this is about. This right. whole series then is about growing up and becoming an adult. Um, I, I think that I'm hoping that they only do one more season. That is my hope yeah. against hope. Yeah. Cause I think you're going to run into some real, uh, dangerous territory of, of just repeating yourself and then also, you know, just kind of having the whole thing fall apart. That's one reason why I thought this was the last season because I thought it was done so well and the way they kind of left things that everybody could walk away from it and go, you know, how great is that? Uh, one thing I wanted to mention real quick, I know we're getting ready to tie things up, but um, 
the the reference to never ending story uh-huh a huge laugh from me because huge after uh watching the show <laughs> there were so many threads on the internet about what is that song where did it come from and, and like talk about me, making me feel old but happy yeah. old um because in my real life um with my job that I do there are often times that we have to use electric carts to get to and from far parts of uh, convention centers and everything. And there been and uh, Chef Jeff know, will know what I'm talking about, but that was something that we would have blaring on our phone as we would pull in and out of different areas of the building so the crew could hear it. And it was kind of this, you know, when someone would, would shout, Atreyu! So, uh, you know, it, it hit me in a nice spot, and I thought that was uh, well done. And again, and one thing we didn't spend any time on because there's so much we could talk about this for hours. I thought the music was really well done too, um, with Corey Hart and Cutting Crew and all those groups that uh, listened to growing up. So that was kind of fun to go back there. Final thoughts on that and and for the show this week. So to, to wrap that up, I thought that it, the choice and the 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 point of insertion of that song from Neverending Story lies at the heart of what makes stranger things work so beautifully is that they're children and even if you're a child and the world is coming to an end you still look at the world with a bit of wonder and whenever they give into that song it's at the height of absolute dramatic tension and it adds a laugh that makes you love the characters again and what does that do it makes you worried about them even more. Yeah. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. So th- to summarize for me, I, I think season three as is as strong as season one. The only reason I would ever give the nod to season one, despite knocking my notice performance, <laughs> is that it was the original. Um, I think that it still creates a sense of foreboding that was so strong that it permeates into season three. Um, if you disliked season two for the reasons that we've stated or you may have heard elsewhere, I think your faith is going to be reaffirmed by yeah. watching season three. I agree with you. I'll stick to my uh, my food analogy. Um, just like the uh, TV dinner, the microwave dinner, it's quick. Uh, it's 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 a gut filler, as Todd so well put. Uh, this particular season of Stranger Things is taking that time to cut up all your uh, vegetables and mise en place and getting everything together and cooking with love and taking the time and letting the heat and spices and seasonings and everything do their thing. So it takes a little bit longer, but it's a much more um, enjoyable meal and leaves you fulfilled uh, for longer. So I'm going to stick with that and just say it's uh, definitely going from uh, from a bit of a TV dinner to, uh, to a uh, well-prepared and very enjoyable meal. Uh, I highly recommend, uh, like like Steve, uh, Steve, like uh, Todd so well said. Um, if you if you if you lost faith in season two, this will uh, this will bring you back up. All right, with that, we'll go ahead and wrap up this week's episode of the Other Kind Radio. Big thank you and love to Todd for taking the time to uh, to do the show. We'll be back next week, uh, and our feature is going to be talking about When They See Us, a rather difficult show to see, but uh, I think a must-watch for anybody. Uh, For myself, Todd, thank you for joining us. We are The Other Kind Radio. We'd love to hear your emails. You can always email us at info at theotherkindradio.com. We'll be happy to hear from you. Have a great week. We'll talk to you in a bit.
the other kind of radio, radio, radio. The other kind.